Hello, welcome to another edition of the Andrew Seal Podcast. Really excited about today's episode. Got a great guest, Bob Raisman, the longtime New York Daily News sports media columnist. Bob's an absolute idol of mine, and he has been for a while. For someone who is a is a sports writer at heart and someone who loves the written word and loves reading newspapers still, Bob is Bob's a, a, an absolute icon of the industry. He is he's been with the Daily News since the eighties. He covered the pinnacle of the Mike and the Mad Dog show on WFAN. He he was responsible for the Mad Dog nickname. He's seen all the highs and all the lows of New York sports, and there's been plenty of them, particularly lows, especially recently. And he's just, you know, reading his columns, even to this day, it's a real joy I have. And it brings out a lot of emotion to me because Bob's one of the the guys, along with the likes of Peter King, that I really look at and and hold up and and strive to be. And I I really look at their work as as something that I I strive for every day. And I'd love to even be mentioned in the same breath as them one day, way down the line. So to have on Bob was great, and he was so generous with with his time. We we went over a little bit, but we dived into the the New York sports scene, the Jets. We covered a couple of hot button, button uh, topics with sports media, in, including ESPN getting rid of the FM dial and what that means, the differences between the, the ratings war in sports radio now compared to when Bob was covering Mike and the Mad Dog and um, a little bit of Tom Brady stuff as well. And hey, because everyone else is freaking doing it, we talked to Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift is... Taking over the NFL, I would not be surprised if her face appears as the logo anytime soon, because Taylor Swift mania has really taken over the sport. So we talked a little bit about that as well, and um, so much, so much was covered. And again, it was great to have Bob on. And Bob's actually agreed he's going to come on um, fairly. I, I wouldn't say regularly is probably the wrong word, but he'll come on every now and then. Hopefully, we'll, we'll look to get him back on probably once the Knicks have started up and once the football season's a month or so old. And because, again, it's New York sports and New York sports media, there's always something to talk about. So I'll hand you over to that shortly. Just want to say again, sorry that there's been a delay in episodes. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and I don't want to just throw episodes out that, that are no, for the sake of it and that are no good. I'd rather wait and then bring episodes that are really, really good. So... Uh, We've got today's episode, we'll hopefully have another one later in the week. I will warn you, a lot of these episodes are going to be me indulging in some self-therapy because of New York sports, because I had enough. I'm done. I'm almost done. I mean, come on, look, I'm not born in New York, I'm not from New York, but I think like a New Yorker, I act like a New Yorker, I consider myself a New Yorker. That's how ingrained that place is in me, it's ingrained in my DNA. I love the place. And, you know, again, I don't sound like a New Yorker, but I can hold my own in sports debates with New Yorkers. I know what I'm talking about, and I love my teams. I just do. But give us a freaking break. I'm trying not to swear. This episode, this podcast, we do allow swearing. Some swearing does happen. I'm trying not to because I've done enough of that recently. So I'm trying to behave myself. But come on. What the hell is going on for years i've had to, along with so many of you who listen to this i've had to suffer through the jets being the biggest dumpster fire stinking hot filthy pile of garbage and that's saying something because there's some 
blocks in New York where the garbage you don't want to be anywhere near. The Jets were worse than that for years. Last year, we you know we had the defense, we had Garrett Wilson, we had Brees Hall, we had pieces. We just didn't have the quarterback because again, two picks in a row, we messed up Sam Darnold. Who, by the way, I think looking back. I would have taken Sam Donald. I don't think he was that bad. But we messed him up. We spat him out. And then Wilson. I mean, I'll be honest. When the pick was made, again, I got excited because I thought, you know what? These people making the picks are way smarter than me when it comes to football. They know what to look for in a player. I'm just a bum that writes about it and watches it on the sofa whilst stuffing my face with Cheetos. What the hell do I know? So... I'm willing to give him a chance. But I think you know, even just watching it, you know when someone hasn't got it. And for me, year one, I was like, there's too many red flags. But look, people have rough rookie years. Peyton Manning, Troy Aikman, two of the, the greatest quarterbacks ever. They had horrendous rookie years. But year two, year two, he was awful. He got benched. Mike White was the saviour. I mean, look what Mike White did on Sunday for the Dolphins. I know he was, he was coming in in garbage time. But I I would drive to Miami, I would pick Mike White up, and I would bring him back myself because I would rather have him in this situation than Wilson. Wilson just isn't it. And I don't care who you are, what credentials you got, you're never going to convince me otherwise. Wilson is not it. Period. End of. No more discussion. He, like, he's coming... Buffalo, they won, but that was because of the punt return. Again, and if you know, Josh Allen obviously had one of the worst days of his career. The Josh Allen we've seen in the last two weeks, if that Josh Allen was turned up, there's no way the Jets are winning that game with Wilson. Week two, Dallas, no good. Week three, New England. New England, I don't think are a great team. You know, I know this is some people would would take issue with this, but Bill Belichick without Tom Brady is a below average coach. The stats tell the story. He is below five hundred without Tom Brady. Mac Jones regressed last year. I've not seen a lot out of Mac Jones this year that tells me that he's going to be a great quarterback. Maybe solid, not great, but like it's fifteen ten. Wilson scored 10 points. The Patriots gave him the ball back four times in the fourth quarter. Four freaking times. And what does he do? Nothing. I mean, needing to keep the play alive, he throws a stupid short pass to Conklin, who, like, have you seen, like, he is a big dude. He has not got the ability to manoeuvre away from, from pressure and get extra yards. He just hasn't. Like, what are you doing? Like, he can't read the field. I mean, even when he throws the ball out of the play, he just throws it into the ground, which is risky in itself. He doesn't throw out of bounds. I mean, the Dallas game, the the fourth quarter, like, he's literally out of bounds, and yet he throws an interception. I just, like, I do not think he's built for the NFL. And the people that are saying, well, he might be, no. Like, he, he, mark my words now, and freezing cold takes can say this as much as they want. Zach Wilson is not an NFL quarterback. He never was. He never will be. End of. I think I've got more chance of <coughs> fulfilling my lifelong dream in dating Reese Witherspoon. I just have. Like, he is not it. And, like, I mean, what this shines a light on 
is the decisions that are being made by this organisation are baffling. I mean, to never get a veteran quarterback in for Wilson in his rookie year was was malfeasance. It just that's like that is like rookie mistakes. You can't do that. And then this year you go out and get Rogers because again you know Wilson's not it. They're admitting that Wilson is not it. Yet they keep Wilson. I mean, look, every team are going to make their fair share of mistakes. But I think the sign of a great team, the sign of a great man, is owning up to your mistake and righting those wrong. Look at the 49ers. Look, they could not have botched that whole Trey Lance situation more than they did. They traded an absolute boatload to move up to get him. And he, he you know, he played, what, less than five games? 10 games, hardly played and was a disaster. Got hurt last year, obviously, and just didn't look great this year. But you know what? At least they didn't try to, you know, worsen the problem by keeping him. They they, they cut. They got rid. They, they accepted their losses. Sent him to Dallas. Like, I do not understand why the Jets think that Wilson is going to turn into, like, he is what he is. I don't even think Rodgers is is going to have an impact. And we're seeing that. I mean, he spent all training camp with Rodgers. I don't see a different Wilson. I see the same Wilson from last year. I see the quarterback that will lose you games and won't win you games. He's like a, a he's like a, a scared little puppy that keeps crapping himself every time he's got the ball. Like, I'm sorry, you can't have a quarterback that is pissing himself every time he's in there. And that's what he looks like. And I mean, he's got this arrogance about him, this smugness, which which he's done nothing in the NFL. But, and again, so you keep Wilson in the hope that Rogers isn't going to get hurt. Guess what? Rogers gets hurt 75 seconds into his jet square. Which, by the way, football gods, have a day off. What are you doing to us? We, we Come on. Why are you punishing us like this? You know, we had we were all excited. Rogers looked like he was he was a changed man. He looked invested. He he looked locked in. Four plays, four plays, and you take that away from us, crush our dreams. And then now, you know, Rogers goes down, and you still haven't brought in a veteran backup. And now I'm hearing that apparently Trevor Semyon's been signed to the practice squad. Trevor freaking Semyon, what is he gonna do? Like Wilson cannot be the starter. It is causing issues. You're seeing that. Obviously, Michael Carter went off on the running backs coach. I think there's some video out there of, of Garrett Wilson, and you can see him saying that he can't make that throw. Like, this team went all in. The defense is there. And by the way, the defense isn't going to be great if they're having to be on the field all the time. That's just what happens. So they're suffering because of Wilson. Garrett Wilson's suffering because he's not getting the ball. The running game's disappeared because, like, Wilson can't even do that. And it, there's going to be major issues. Like, I think this could lead to Robert Sarah or Joe Douglas losing their job because by standing by Wilson, you are pissing off the rest of that team. And that, that if you know, I think they'll lose Sunday against Kansas. I mean, even, like for me, Wilson's absolute ceiling is a 25-point game, and I think even that's being kind. Mahomes can put 35 points up in his sleep. So you're losing that game. He, You have to have someone ready to go in for week five because if you don't, this team's gonna you're going to lose this team. And then what's already... 
a, a bad situation is going to get a whole lot worse. And if Rogers does come back, which I think he will, because he's not going to go out that way, what's he going to have to come back to? An absolute fractured locker room, because you didn't want you know you didn't want to swallow swallow your pride and admit that you made a mistake with Wilson. What has his kid got over you that you're sticking by him? He is not it. Like Jesus, he is awful. And now you you've gone out and signed Trevor Simeon to the practice squad. So we have got um, Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon. What like this this won't even be a five win team if they don't do something. Now for all the people saying trade for Kirk Cousins, the Vikings are never going to do that. They could be sick zero oh, and six. They're not going to trade Kirk Cousins. And I think you, you got from the. The quarterback show on Netflix. I think the Cousins family, they love it in Minnesota. I know he's a free agent. I, I think he'll stay in Minnesota. So I don't think that's happening. But like um, Carson Wentz, who I know isn't great, but he's worked with Joe Douglas before. I would take Nick Foles. Matt Ryan's apparently said no. I mean, you can't blame Matt Ryan. I mean, he's probably taken one look at that offensive line and thought, you know what, I value my life, thank you very much. So so you can't blame quarterbacks that don't want to play because why would it? Because that offensive line's a massive issue. I mean, talk about a hot mess. Like, I, I mean, I'll give Wilson some due. I mean, he's not helped by that offensive line, but still, like, Wilson lost in the game Sunday. He just did. And I've had enough. I can't take it. You, you know, I'm a big Kirby Enthusiasm fan. I love I love Larry David. That episode, you know, the Magical Vagina episode, everyone knows, where Carl, uh, Larry's friend, they're playing golf, he has a great game, you know, got a very talented wife by all, all the sounds of it. He commits suicide because of the Jets. Like, what? This is going to be me. I'm going to be freaking Carl. You're killing me, Jets. You are freaking killing me. And, I mean, at least Carl had a magical vagina to go home to. What do I have? Apart from disappointment, week after week after week. And, you know what? The Mets were awful. The Yankees were awful. If the Knicks have a slow start, if the Rangers have a slow start, I can't take it. Like, honestly, I might have to take something else up. I might have to cover knitting. The knitting championships. I might have to go invent something. Because this is... Horrendous. Every stinking year this happens. Why? It's I, I I'm lost for words, which doesn't happen often. But here we go. I've I just can't. I the New York Jets are killing me. So if you want someone to blame, blame the Jets. Because they're going to make sure that my life expectancy isn't very high. I'll tell you that for, for sure right now. Anyway, before I blow a gasket anymore, let's uh, pass over to my conversation with Bob Raisman, the, the long-time sports media columnist for the New York Daily News. Again, this was an absolute honour to have Bob on. And I hope you enjoy the chat as much as I enjoyed speaking to Bob. Enjoy. Delighted and honoured to be joined by a long-time um, idol of mine, Bob Raisman, the long-time um, New York sports media columnist for the New York Daily News. Bob, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? 
Good, thanks for inviting me. So I wanted to bring you on because, as as usual, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to New York sports and New York sports media is... As, as always, and and the jumping off point, I think, is the Jets because they're a hot topic at the moment. And this is kind of perfect timing because Joe Namath, you know, obviously a, a Jets icon, normally very mild mannered and kind of toes the the corporate line when it comes to the Jets. Goes on the Michael K show, absolutely torches Wilson, and you know causes play disgusting. Kind of you know taking shots that we're not used to seeing from. Uh, you know, a, a, a franchise icon. What what were your takes on that on that interview, and why is that significant? Well, you know, of course, Namath resonates with the fan base like no other because he's the only one that's won anything. You know, when they won the Super Bowl, but I think that you know him showing disgust is really coming out as the voice of the fan here because it, it's. Uh, the million-dollar question is how long are you going to play Zach Wilson? As a matter of fact, they just signed Trevor Simeon to the practice squad about an hour ago. So, you know, and that's already generating, you know, it's not enough kind of reactions. You know, he's a backup quarterback, played for Denver, I believe. So that's one thing. But I think getting back to name, it's uh, when, he, when he speaks, people listen. Because as you pointed out, He's usually uh, chose the company line, and he's obviously probably paid by the Jets to be an ambassador. So that um, that definitely resonates. I think the whole thing about this it's like a it's a catastrophe football style because when Aaron Rodgers went down, they it was like you know all these hopes and dreams was sucked right out of the franchise. But the point that everyone's making now is that they just don't have, they didn't have a backup plan. They, they stayed with Zach Wilson and that's proving to be a disaster in, in terms of what he can do. He hasn't shown much improvement. And I think that it's going to filter down. It's already filtered down to the coach in, Ro- in Robert Sala, what his, um, you know, what his status is going to be. Because they're going to be looking to blame this on somebody if it really goes south. I think the one thing you got you can hang your hat on here is that it's still early in the season. Yeah, I, I think, and I know you you mentioned it in a in a column you did because there's a bigger part to this for me. I, I think we all kind of universally know what Wilson is or isn't at this point. I, you know, this is year three for him, and I think the whole reason they they went out and got Rogers was because. He, he just wasn't good enough and, and didn't show enough. And, you know, the number two pick in the draft, if he played up to that, then they wouldn't have needed to go out and get someone like Rodgers. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, Sunday and, and the week before, and then you look around the league and you look at someone like Josh Dobbs or Arizona who's putting up points and getting, you know, and is able to elevate play. You know, even Sam Howe with, with Washington, I know there's a lot of interceptions there. And this week wasn't great, but the two weeks before that, he's he's making plays and winning games, whereas Wilson just doesn't do that. But the, the bigger part of this for me, I think, and the real interesting thing, and I know you've mentioned this, is we already saw Sunday that there's elements of the team getting frustrated with this, as they did last year. Um, 
And is that going to lead down to the head coach being in danger and even the general manager? Because it's the general manager who, for me, they didn't get a backup for, for Wilson when he came into the league, which was a mistake. And as you said, there was no plan B, even with Rodgers in the building. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at, you talk about the general manager, Joe Douglas. I thought it was telling yesterday during Sal's press conference when someone asked him a, a quarterback question as it pertained to the future uh, of not looking for someone. And he said, that's a Joe question. And, you know, when that happens, it's obvious that, that Douglas probably said, let them, let put, put that on me. I mean, that's admirable. But, you know, He's not, he doesn't talk to the press, so how are you going to ask him the question? It's just like Leon Rose with the Knicks. Yeah. You know, he won't talk to the press either. Either So that becomes a, a kind of a fool's errand to try to get any information out of them. But I think, you know, it's going to really hit home even it's, – it's, it's swirling and it's swelling. I think that, you know, you have them playing on Sunday night football against the Chiefs in the Meadowlands – uh, through a huge with a huge audience watching, and the story being you know pumped up because of how it was covered going into the season. I mean, the whole off season of the NFL, even the national media was covering the Rogers thing, so they're paying more attention to this as it heads south. So I think they're only looking for more grief, unless they pull off, unless Wilson can pull off a miracle. But um, I don't think that's going to happen. No, I mean, for me, Wilson's, you know, absolute ceiling is maybe 25 points. And I think that might be stretching it. And going against someone like Mahomes, Mahomes can put up 35 points in his sleep. But, I mean, this is just typical Jets, isn't it? I mean, you've been covering the team and around New York sports in general for a long, long time. And, you know, as you said, the whole offseason was dominated by Rodgers. You know, he ran out with the American flag. This was meant to be a new start. And then, bang, within 75 seconds here we are again and it, it's just it's it's just you know this this franchise just can't seem to to, to have anything nice right you know I, I i felt when that happened it was like lead up to a big fight where you're thinking it's going to be a real rumble they build it up build it up build it up and the guy gets knocked out one guy gets knocked out with less than a minute gone by in the fight but all the wind is sucked out of you you know I don't want to say it's the same old Jets, or the, I don't believe in curses or anything like that. But I think that the problem you're going to have here, if it continues to spiral, is that players that are already on the team that show potential are going to want out. They're going to want when their contracts and they're young and and promising. Look at the defense, and and I think that is the reason why you know you have to fix this thing psychologically. But it's when you, as you pointed out before, when you see guys joining and arguing on, on the sidelines, that's not a good sign. No, and, and, and you said there, you know, the likes of Garrett Wilson and, and Brees Hall, you know, young guys now, but in a couple of years, they're going to be due contracts. And, uh, you know, if the things keep going like this, uh, you know, they really going to want to stick around. And that's the danger you've got. This is, at the moment, this is a crack that is widening, and, but you can you know, kind of save, you can kind of save yourself now, but if they keep dragging this out, because I, I don't think Wilson is going to be, I think he is what he is, then you risk by the time Rogers is ready to come back, if he is next year, the, the damage is irreparable. And I think that's a real risk for, for the Jets this year. You know, the thing I can't understand is why they didn't 
get a get a repl- get a backup even when Rogers was still healthy when they first signed him. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Rogers is the one who pushed for Zach. And I'm wondering, I, I think he's speaking today on the Pat McAfee show, but I think, I wonder what Rogers is saying to the management of the Jets. Cause um, as we talk about players, not wanting to come to sign a, extensions on their contracts, if this goes on, if the same old, uh, philosophy and uh, holds as it's been, you know, is he going to want to come back? Yeah. You know, you, you plan for him to come back. I don't know. I, th- I think, I, I think probably the, the unrelenting feeling for, for football fans in New York the last couple of weeks have been, you know, baseball sucked, which we'll get on to. So, you know, the Jets were meant to be, a contender and obviously they're in the position they're in now. And, you know, the Giants, they didn't have as much hype, but they had a good year last year and there was very much a thought of building on that. And obviously they, they were blown out by the Dallas, which by the Cowboys, which was just embarrassing. They, they did have that comeback against the Cardinals, but I mean, to even be in that position was again, embarrassing. And I I think the 49ers went healthier, one of the best teams in, in the NFL. So, and they were competitive going into the, into the third quarter, but what are your kind of expectations with the, with the Giants in terms of what their, their ceiling can be this year? Well, I think first of all, they have to get Saquon Barkley back. He's got to come back from that injury, whether it's a high ankle sprain or a lower part of the ankle. Um, Cause it's obvious that they need him. They need him as a, you know, it's for Daniel Jones to be totally effective, to have that versatility the running game hasn't shown much without him. Now, he's saying that he wants to be ready for Monday night against the Seahawks, but that still remains to be seen. I think the thing the Giants have going for them, you know, as I watched them early on, I didn't think much of them, but now they're, you know, there, sh- there could have been, there could be a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones, judging by, you know, when you, when you think about all the money he got in his contract, and they they kind of turned it over to him, but with the Zach Wilson stuff coming on and sticking, I think that it provides some camouflage, some cover for the Giants in the media market here because no one's talking about the Giants now. This is all really taking flight with the Jets, to pardon the bad pun. But it's like yeah. no one cares, so they can cover. They can. Uh, you know, kind of hide out for a while, but they're going to be on national television on Mon- on Monday as well on Monday Night Football. So you have two teams. You know, one re- one is really swirling down, the other and is in the midst of controversy playing on Sunday night, and then the Giants playing on Monday night. But you really not living up to the expectations that, as of yet that came out of last year's success for them. So I think you know you have <laughs> you have one thing if. Another question here is, from a television perspective, is what the uh, national networks that that the, the league's national TV partners think of this. Now they're stuck with the Jets and Giants this weekend, and um, maybe if Taylor Swift shows up at the Meadowlands on Sunday night, it might boost the audience a little bit. Or if they hold out hope, so maybe she can, you know, increase it because you know it's conceivable Kansas City could go out 
early and, you know, take a huge lead on the yeah. Jets in the first half. Then you have people maybe going away. But to get back to Giants' point, I think it's still, I think it's still early to, um, to, to, to f- figure out where they're going. But I tell you this, I think the, the uh, media probably has more faith in Brian Dable to write the ship than they do in, in uh, Robert Sala. Yeah, I, I think we saw enough last year to know that he's a good kind of what I'd call a, a meat and potatoes coach. And I think they've got enough there. And I think Daniel Jones has shown enough where I think they can have a decent year. And as you said, the, the, the key is all the pressures off them because they're not the they're not the spectacle in New York. So that 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 may help them. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime you don't have to deal with that day-to-day, your story day-to-day with the Jets. I mean, the Jets have had so many circuses in their time, but it, uh, it's never, it never is easy to deal with, especially with the Jets, I think, because they pay more attention to what people say about them than I think the, uh, than the Giants do. I think in that respect, you know, the Jets are a lot like the Mets were under Wilpons, who, who reacted to the media and the fans more than the Yankees did. Before, because I want to talk some baseball and then get into some general sports media talk with you. But before we we move on, you you raised a really interesting point, and I, I wanted to kind of jokingly mention Taylor Swift. But you, you for me, you're you know the a pound for pound one of the best sports media columnists out there, um, and you've been around this this for so long. You know the NFL for years now. They're an absolute juggernaut when it comes to TV ratings. I mean, even the Pro Bowl, which Pro Bowl for me, which is one probably one of the worst of the All Star games, still gets big ratings. But you, you saw the weekend. I mean, Sunday couldn't have gone any better in terms of some of the games we we had. You know, obviously the Dolphins, the Vikings, and the Chargers. And then obviously, you know, Fox Sports had a lot of fun with the whole Taylor Swift thing, and that's become a monster on its own. You've now got people that maybe were not interested in the NFL that are now fully invested in this just from kind of all your years covering sports media just what is it about the nfl that you know despite all the controversy and all the other stuff that kind of comes around it that they still manage to have this absolute hold on on the sports media world well i think one of the reasons they attract that is is a few is a few things one is that the gambling aspect of, of football, um, illegally, it had always been there through the years. Now it's legal in most states. So you got that audience. So you have the fantasy football audience that tunes in for that. So, you know, while you had gamblers, a lot of gambling in the past, and fantasy's been building and building until it's become, you know, a mega, mega uh, platform. Yeah. So there's two things there that have to do with the game, but they're not really inside the game in terms of if you just watch the game because you like it and you you know and you root for a team, not necessarily gambling on it. But then you have the other uh, element that is irresistible in this country is violence. I mean, it's the most violent sport out there, and despite their uh, efforts to make it safer, it really hasn't decreased in terms of hard hits and uh, 
you know, uh, people unexpectedly being injured and as it, as it, as it, f- it filters into the game itself. But I think that it's got that combination of violence, game of chance type thing with gambling and the fantasy. And I also think it from a television perspective, and it's always been this way. It, it's easy to follow on television. You know, it's fast moving. It doesn't lag. You know, yeah. and uh, you have the perfect settings for replays and things like that. So I think th- those things combined, plus the straight up fandom, you, you know, you want your team to win. But the other thing I'd say is this now more than ever, there's so many shoulder, so much ancillary programming, shoulder programming during the week to whet the appetite for what's coming up on, the, uh, during the, on Sunday, Thursday, or Monday. And I think that people look at these shows and it builds interest. And as you pointed out, it's not a hard game to grasp so the casual fan can get into it. And that's what really brings the eyeballs into the sets to watch this stuff is the casual fan. And I'll take it out a, a step further when you have a, a rare, like quirky thing, like a Taylor Swift showing up and considering her popularity. Her fans are going to tune in, whether whether or not it's to see the game, but they might want to follow this "quote unquote" romance with Count with Travis Kelsey. So it's it, it's uh, it's it's got that kind of stage. I mean, it's it's entertainment in its highest form, and I don't mean you know like theater or anything like that, but in terms of that's what football is. That's what sports is. It's entertainment, and the NFL has the has a stranglehold on it right now. And, and as you said, one one thing they do a really good job with is with all as you said with all the additional programming. I mean, you've got Good Morning Football on every day. Um, the NFL Network has a ton of shows. You know, they've got the NFL Fantasy Show, which obviously has become uh, a huge thing. And then that's not to mention all the other networks. Obviously, ESPN has NFL Live every day, so it is a constant feeding frenzy, isn't it? In terms of as you said, wetting people's appetite for the Sunday games, for Thursday yeah. night football, for, and it's just, it, it's every day, it's there, it's, it, it's it, right in your in your mind's eye every single day. The other thing, Andrew, is this, and I think it's, uh, it's worth t- talking about and noting at least, you know, the NFL only plays a certain amount of games and it only lasts a couple of months. It's almost like less is more. You, you, yeah. you can only get this product rare product on a su- on three days a week. It's not like basketball, which is night to night, hockey, same, baseball, same. You know, the season's going to come, it's going to go, and it, and it goes pretty fast. So people, you know, are, are willing to sit down and put the time into watching it, which isn't always true of all the other sports. And it's the other thing is, it's not just a regional sport. It's like you may have Giants and Jet fans here, but they're watching other games. You know, they're they're tuning into other games if they want to get taste Sunday ticket package to see them all or have access to them all. They can do it. But it's like it's like David Stern used to say, the old late great commissioner of the NBA. Only he did it for another reason. When the games were on, the NBA's national TV partner was CBS. They didn't air many games. The the NBA wasn't as popular as as it is now. So. He would always say, you know, when you asked him, how come you can't get these many games, more games on? How can 
can how come you can't be more like baseball or basket or hockey and he with the tv packages maybe baseball not hockey but anyway he would go less is more and he he sure he wanted more money to get the uh for his league but he'd do what he saw there and he used that saying to spin it to make the nba look like it was a more rare product than it was at the time but football definitely is you know the worst mistake they can make well with, with the nfl is putting more games on because it's going to be yeah. out there with the streaming services wanting to get into this they could carve up some more packages you know put a game take a game here take a game there from the over-the-air tv and but if you add more games first of all the players aren't going to like it it's going to affect their safety but it's also going to water down the product. They have a perfect formula, and you know, from their perspective, you know, they they better they hope they not they don't screw it up. Well, I, I think to segue, I think New York uh, baseball fans will certainly want um, less is more, given the state of their teams this year. <laughs> I, you know, be, being a, like a massive New York baseball fan myself as well, and and having been around, covered the Mets a little bit the last couple of years. Given the expectations of both teams, I mean, the Yankees year in year out, they're expected to is you know it's World Series or bust. In the, the words of their their former late owner, for the Mets with you know, the biggest payroll in in baseball and with with Steve Cohen, the expectations were colossal for both teams. Given that they, you know, I know it's only just. They've officially been eliminated, but let's face it, they've been out of it for so long. Where where does it kind of rank in your mind in terms of the biggest disappointments in, in New York sports history? The the fact that these two teams have have just collapsed so uh, so incredibly so this year. Well, I think it's it's disappointing um, as terms of historically. I don't know if I'd say it, it's the biggest, but I think that. It, it really showed to me that there's really takes more to put these teams together than just money or just tradition and money. So you had them, you had the, you rarely have them both eliminated, especially with the Yankees, as you said, but it happened this year, but the baseball season is so long. You can get over it faster. You know, there's, there wasn't that micro analysis of every game and, you know, and how it affected their the sta- the standings. It was more or less, you know, we can, we'll get to it. We'll get into it. But, you know, the Mets, you could see, with, they, they took a gamble on the old pitchers and and it didn't work out. But the Yankees, to me, are a more, are a more interesting story because they're going through changes that people have refused to accept. One is like what you just said. George Steinbrenner's mantra was World Series or bust. Yep. And the organization's trying to spin that now, saying, you know, well, we competed. We got in the playoffs all these years. That's what really matters. It's a crapshoot. Playoffs is a crapshoot. But the interesting story to me that's going relatively not uncovered, but lightly covered, it's probably because of all this football stuff, is Aaron Judge saying that we've got to make some changes here from the inside and you know that's a pretty heavy thing for him to say because even when jeter was captain of the yankees he never would say anything like that at least publicly so you see that judge 
wants a more active role, almost an NBA-ish thing, and, you know, who the players are going to be, maybe even who the uh, coaches are going to be. And, you know, he's it makes some sense that it did startle me because I remember when he was going for the home run, this American League home run record to tie yeah. it last season. He, he was very... I don't know if particular is the word, but he was concerned to how he was being covered, especially by, yes, the Yankees network. You know, he was he was tired of the camera following him in the dugout. He was tired of um, his family being on camera. And if they finally, he finally he called up, a, he called up a yes executive, told him that. And they wound up working it out. But this is an outspoken guy is what I'm trying to say. And he he's, you know... He's not shy about expressing his feelings in public. And this certainly was the biggest statement he's ever made, you know, that he wants a hand in this. Because that, you know, like I said, I'm sure other players feel that way, may express it inside, may offer some opinions, but they'll never go public with it. Well, I, I agree with Judge because I think changes do need to be made. But I think the problem is, is, you know, the, the Steinbrenner family seem very married to, to Brian Cashman, who in turn seems very married to, to Aaron Boone. Yankee fans have, have wanted both of their heads for for a while now. And you've got a roster that is is very flawed in terms of a construction point of view. There's a lot of old players there who are on big contracts, who, who are either injured a lot or just aren't playing to the back of their baseball cards. And I know that you, you wrote about this the, the other day. How, how does the Yes Network, whose entire image is the Yankees, how do they trot out and, and promote the Yankees in 2024, especially if minimal changes aren't made and it's the same old Yankees that that aren't going to do a lot, as, as has been the case of the last few years? That's a question that's still not been answered because they, you know, you can feature Judge in your ads, and but what are you going to feature Giancarlo Stanton? I mean, he's one of the guys you're talking about when you want to try to when it was that big uh, contract that they can't get rid of. I think that the Yankees, first of all, will always have their history to uh, to to promote, and a lot of people still. Uh, respect that and and I've been longtime Yankee fans that you know will respond to that but I think it's a, it's a problem they're gonna have to come up with some kind of catchy slogan they might have to go out go out and find some people to do that for them um, I was thinking about that yesterday because I was watching some of their game there was no one there it's, uh, it was raining here and uh, they were playing Arizona but the most of the advertising was was for their advertising their products, their apps, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, there was they were selling, and so they can always do that. But they'll come up with something. But you know, they're in a problem. Two two areas that are huge. One is does Hal Steinbrenner want to spend the money anymore? And number two, what defines success for the Yankees? Is it really? getting to the World Series, World Series or bust? Is it getting to the playoffs or is it your bottom line being, or is it, you, are you making money no matter what? You know, are your subscription, TV ticket sales and cable subscriptions and app, you know, 
purchases, you know, bringing you a positive bottom line, or is that winning more important than that? And I would suggest that he's more, uh, Hal's more concerned with the bottom line. And if it's that's that works, then he's not going to have a major problem with a guy like Cashman, who's basically a member of the Steinbrenner family. Yep. Yeah, no, a million percent. And I mean, on the other side of town, just quickly, because I, I do want to get onto this ESPN stuff with you, but I think with the Mets, there's at least a little bit more hope because, you know, David Stearns is in the building and, and he was kind of Steve Cohen's big white whale. And it'll be interesting to see if they if, if they learn from their mistakes, if, if they go after Otani or if they instead maybe build it methodically. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the, the job David Stearns is allowed to do now and, and whether they stick to the same blueprint or, or change it up a little bit, because clearly spending money and throwing money around didn't work for them this year. That's true. I think that it, they got, they have everything in position to where they want it. And I think the blueprint that if Steve Cohen is, you know, telling the truth, he wants to build the farm system up and that could only help. It's a good, uh, Good uh, goal to have. So let's quickly get onto this ESPN stuff because it was announced. Uh, I think there was a story this week or last week about that ESPN Radio is going to basically cut the the ninety seven point eight or ninety eight point seven, sorry, FM and kind of go on the AM and and, and more streaming. And, and I'll be I'll be open. I I was probably I, I came in on the back end of Mike and the Mad Dog, so I've always being an ESPN radio Michael K guy. Um, that's kind of what I listen to more than WFAN. But Michael K himself, they've, they've played this down, said it's not a big deal. It, you know, they, They've always done better in the streaming market, so this will open up new avenues for them. Is this a, a big deal? You know, Is this a big story? What does it mean for ESPN, and what does it kind of mean for the, the good old ratings war between them and WFAN? Well, I think that, that uh, it's a it's it's a story partially of economics because ESPN is managed by a company called Good Karma, at least on their radios, some of their radio stations, and they're paying I, millions of I think it's twelve and a half million, maybe more uh, a year to to lease that station ninety eight point seven. So they're getting rid of that in August, and I think that. You know, it's going to remain to be seen what what the streaming, having those the options they have, you know, including the AM station, 1050, um, for ESPN radio. So I think that remains to be seen. The thing that's intriguing to me here is you have that uh, 98.7 slot open. You know, talking to some people, they say they wouldn't be surprised if they try to, someone tries to start another sports station. Puts, puts it on that frequency. Um, I don't know how good that idea, a uh, good of an idea that is, because the radio business isn't that uh, healthy right now, you know. So I think it's it's a big story, but it's not going to change. It's it's not going to change the uh, listening habits of some people because they're already going to watch this simulcast the K show on Yes. And uh, fan will have their TV outlet on SNY, so it's just one outlet. It's ironic to me though that they, when they went on ninety eight point seven, they said 
FM is the place to be, you know, you have to be on FM. And now they're changing their tune and saying, no, it's okay. I think the bottom line is I always follow the money and they're looking to save money by not having to pay that monthly with, with almost rental fee or lease fee. Yeah. Now, if they put that money in their pocket, that does nothing to enhance the product. But if they spend it on the product, they make it better. So one thing I'm really fascinated about, because there's been a, a lot of upheaval, that there was speculation about Michael Kay, but he's obviously signed a new long-term contract to, to stay um, on the radio and with the Yankees too. Obviously, WFAN's kind of, that afternoon drive slots been a lot of upheaval. Obviously, Craig Carton's left recently. You you covered Mike and the Mad Dog at their absolute pinnacle. I mean, you're responsible for the, the Mad Dog name. Um so I'm just really intrigued to kind of get your thoughts on having covered two people that really gave sports radio its name in Mike and the Mad Dog and then now covering New York sports radio now and just kind of what are the biggest differences for you, for you really and, and what do you yeah, make of the, the, the ratings mm-hmm. war now compared to then? I think the biggest difference to me is that um, Mike and the Mad Dog, first of all, they were – uh, they were early on into the sports talk trend, so they made their they had they had something, and it took a while, but they had something that you can't teach, and that's chemistry, uh, and that came in all different ways with them. But I think the biggest difference is they actually, you know, not they neither of them was a trained journalist, uh, or they were enter- they are entertainers and sports guys, sports fans. But they were able to kind of get into the scene and break some stories and have some uh, credibility, which, you know, the teams in town, I think either they were scared of them or they respected them. So they would they would break some news on their show. So you would tune in to see what they had to say about something. And then they might do it as an opinion or say, you know, they heard this from someone. You don't see a lot of that now because sports talk radio in many ways is a lot about personality and I, and it's about talking about yourself, you know, talking about what you did, you know, your situation, you know, Peter Rosenberg, for instance, talking about going through a divorce. He's one of the guys on the K show and getting, you know, coming and then recently getting married. Now, uh, I don't know how many people are interested in that kind of stuff, but it's not just the K show. It's all shows. You know, it's, it's kind of like personal talk. They used to call it guy talk. Um, so you didn't see that back then. Uh, it was pretty much of a sports leaning, but uh, I think Francesca and Russo there, the thing that they did, their thing was almost like a reality TV show because a radio show, because they didn't get along for a long time and that was out in the open. So you tuned in to see how that was going to manifest itself on the air. That brought a lot of attention to their, their show. And, um, the the whole, they, they, they blazed a path because a lot of people followed in their style or tried to copy it. And as with anything, that's almost impossible to do. You know, the hardest thing to teach in that business you can't teach personality in that business and they had it. They had a lot of personality. Um, I just think there's so many 
ways to get your information, like your podcast, like a lot of different podcasts, like Twitter, like Instagram, all social media forms that the juice that Sports Talk Radio had has been, you know, kind of watered down by all this competition. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and I mean, you know, the sports media landscape in general is changing. I'll tell you one thing that really kind of just baffles me and I, I wouldn't say annoy, but I'm I'm a huge paper guy. I, I love reading the New York Daily News. I, I love the sports coverage in the Post. I'll I'll read the, the New York Times um, and, and do the crosswords. I, I, I love it. But you go on the subway now and there's no paper. You know, I... I I'm known to take a paper in a bar and I obviously you're a big paper guy. You've, you've been a paper guy you, your whole life. I, I just find it sad that, that it's not, it is, it is relevant in the kind of the public eye anymore. And uh, what's, I'd be interested to know your take on it and uh, you know, where you see the, the paper business, particularly in sports media going and, and yeah, do, do you think it can have a, a revival in today's world? No, I would say that would be like a long shot to have a revival of newspapers. Um, things started going digital. It was a matter of uh, newspapers. Some of them were slow to react. And even the ones that reacted, um, you know, found themselves either cutting down staff or going out of business altogether. It's just, you know, it's like when I was going through this in the middle of it at the Daily News, uh, it's like I was a part of the Industrial Revolution, I felt. <laughs> you know, all this machinery was coming around yeah. to change the nature of the business. So uh, I think it's got its... It, some of it's picked up a little bit, but I think not, not, not the priority isn't there as it used to be uh, for covering things, covering local things, co- covering sports. Uh, you know, you used to have people traveling up with the teams and they still do to some extent, but I don't think they do it all the time because they have to save money. You know, economics takes precedence over everything, including covering the news. Uh, unless, you know, there are a few national papers, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Times, as you said, but even they have their own problems. I, you probably know the Times has closed its sports desk yeah. up to uh, they're using the Athletic, which they own reporters. So you know it's it's a sad part of uh, of, of newspaper history, like anything that comes to an end. Um, but I guess you just have to take take solace in the fact, at least for me, that I got to be part of it when it was ro- rolling pretty pretty fast and furious at the daily news uh and you know i can remember coming there in in the in the beginning when i started in 87 and putting dwight gooden was going into smithers the drug rehab center and we've had about 15 people on that story uh those days are long gone though yeah it's um you know i for, for me Again, it's I'm kind of envious of of guys like you who who have had so long in the paper industry, just because I, I still think it's it, it holds a lot of importance to me anyway. And and I know a lot of things are going digital, but 
that's why it's great to to get you on and, and talk about this because I I do think it was a you know a, a golden age and I know I need to let you go but I want to just get you off with two sure. quick fire questions that you can just answer in in two if you want. So what are your expectations for the Knicks? Because again, they come in every year and we know New York's a basketball town and I'm interested because I know you, you've written about this recently. Um, do you think Tom Brady will, will honour his Fox commitment? And if he does, what what would you expect from him as, as a well, broadcaster? I'll start with the... Uh, as I, as, I'll start with the Knicks. Uh, I think they're, they're going to. Sh- I, I have a lot of faith in their coach, Tom Thibodeau, because yeah. he he he, uh, he focuses on defense, and that's not a lot. That's not played a lot in the NBA, and you have to do it in the playoffs. So, I would expect them to be better than last year. As far as Brady thing goes, I think he will honor his commitment. I think that you know, he spent a lot of time on this offseason in commercials. That kind of television work, and I would have—I have a feeling he's been pre- pre- preparing behind the scenes, you know, to for this job. And it'd be hard for him to walk away from that kind of money, no matter how much he already has. Yeah, and I think the guys obviously are born competitor, so I think for him that will get his competitive competitive juices flowing. And and he and he probably looks at the Mannings, you know, obviously they had a rival, and he probably looks at the fact that. You, you can't put a TV on without seeing the man in. So he's probably thinking, hey, this is my opportunity to come in and beat them again. Yeah, I would think you're right about that. That they, the Peyton Manning and, and Eli have done a good job with their post-playing career with that. I mean, if that Manning cast is a critically acclaimed product and uh, it's fun to watch. So you're right, Brady, with those competitive juices, probably wants his own thing out there that, you know, can rival that and he'll have a bigger stage of all with that Fox, you know, late game, the national games. And it'll be really interesting to see how he adapts to that talking about it instead of playing it. Exactly. And that, that's definitely something to look forward to. But Bob, I, I've, I've kept you over. So I really appreciate you coming on um, again for, for someone who's followed your career for the longest time. It's been an absolute honor. So thank you for, for jumping on. Thank you for having me and thanks for following.